Welcome, welcome, welcome to this wonderful June Day podcast. It's beautiful outside. It's like 7.30 p.m., give or take. And I'm pretty stoked because last night I got my nails done and they look fab. I have alternating colors of pastel blue and neon pink. Thank you to the girlfriend for doing my nails up. She's like a pro too. It's pretty unbelievable. I mean, she has all the kind of tools and, you know, gizmos and she went for the cubicles and she did this thing. I never even heard of it before. It's like paraffin wax. It's like you dip your fingers in this kind of goo and they saran wrap you up and they almost like wax mold for like 20 minutes. And afterwards your uh, fingers come out all shiny and sparkly and you know i'm feeling i'm feeling good feeling confident i could put on some heels go walk around town well i wouldn't do that because i don't look good in heels although i mean it would be fun to be like in six inch heels i'd be like seven feet tall so that would be very confusing for a lot of people but these nails got me feeling good so thank you selena just a good look overall and i'm just ready to start talking and start sharing stuff with you guys because that's what I do on a daily basis now. It's just what's in my brain is going to leak out. And I've been rewatching The Wire again. So, I mean, I'm not even rewatching. I'm re-rewatching. So I went through the entire season. Uh, I mean, all five seasons. About a week ago I finished. And now I'm starting on season two again and just putting it on my iPad during meals because I'm insane. But it's, I don't know, every time I just love watching it. I can't get enough. Just Ziggy, I know Ziggy is like the Jar Jar Binks of the wire world, but I love watching the docs and how terrible they mess their lives up. And I also like the Greek, who's the main uh, mafia guy in that, in that show. And he's kind, of, he's kind of mostly shown in season two. That's kind of where you get the most uh, views of him. So I don't know, season two. Everyone says it's the worst season of The Wire. They're wrong. It's the best season of The Wire. And I will argue all day. So give me a call and we'll, we'll talk about it. Not like, I don't like I have a hotline or someone uh, sound checking or anything like that. But someday, someday I'll have, I'll have like a caller line. You can call in and argue with me. But I'm not, I'm not the best debater because I debate myself. See, like I like ping pong back and forth between thoughts. And that's, that's what keeps me going. That's what's, I'm not like, steadfast this is what i believe you know blah 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 alpha male it's like no i'm willing to see both sides of the situation so if you want to talk to me about something for now just email me or we can zoom meeting you know whatever or come over have some tea but you got to stay six feet away because my parents wouldn't approve if you were closer than that so also watching hannibal you know the show which is just really satisfying on a weird psychopath level you know it's just it's Hannibal Lecter eating people and murdering people. And really, I can't believe the show was on NBC because it is gory and graphic. And it's, I mean, if I was a seven-year-old kid accidentally stumbling upon this on NBC, I'd have nightmares till I was 15. I mean, this is, yeah, this is nightmare fuel for even like for even older people. There's just some, there's weird ornate deaths. Like there's one where this uh, killer grows mushrooms out of his, almost dead corpses i mean almost dead uh victims he like keeps them alive so the mushrooms can grow throughout them it's just yeah no thank you or there's this one guy who made uh like a giant art installation where he used different colored different uh skin tone bodies to make like a human eye 
out of the bodies. No, thank you. But yet I'll keep watching. I keep watching. So clearly, clearly they know what they're doing. They know this is satisfying to some people. But all this is hearsay and just kind of, you know, this is just banter because it pales in comparison to what I'm about to talk about. I have been looking forward to this since starting the podcast and I wasn't sure it, uh, when to do it because, you know, you don't want to you don't want to hit perfection too early or you don't want to, you know, you don't want to like if you're making a mixtape, you don't put the first you don't put the best song in the first or second uh, slot. I don't know if anyone makes mixtapes anymore, but uh, you put it in like the fifth or sixth slot when you got things going and then you just hit them with the mic drop. And this is it because. This is the wildest character creation of the 21st century. Uh, This movie made zero sense. It was a bloated two and a half hours that took nonsensical trips to mid-century evil prisons in Afghanistan. Someone was playing like three-card Monty with an open nuclear reactor. And this was like a fever dream of a movie. And it's in complete contrast to the source material. Do you have any idea what it is? Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you feel the smile in my voice? Because it's there. I'm just like yesterday I was talking with my friend MG on a podcast about the lions. And I don't know why he picked that as the topic because it's his fandom. And it's, you know, it's inherently pathetic because that's what it is. And I'm a Patriots fan. So it's like, of course, I'm going to just lay into him. So I'm not sure if he just wanted to be beat up. You know, he just wanted to reevaluate his uh, lifestyle of being a Lions fan. But I was smiling the whole time and I could like when I listened to the podcast afterwards, you can hear the smile. So I hope you can hear the smile in my voice because I want to talk about the man in the mask, the high octave oddball, the original meme generator himself. It's Tom Hardy's batshit crazy creation of Bane in the Dark Knight Rises. And my God, I mean, what a fun character to watch because it makes no sense. I have so many thoughts on this. I didn't even know where to start. I think I got like 15, I got 25 pages of notes. So buckle up. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, maybe I'll get bored halfway through. No, I won't. I mean, I'm, this might be a two-parter though. But I was listening to this podcast called The Big Picture on The Ringer and they were doing top five Tom Hardy performances. And basically when they hit Bane, they're like, this is why we did this anyways, because it, we just love this performance and how insane it is. And it doesn't make any sense. It's just a 27 layer cake of confusion and absurdity. And I just want to dive in and talk about what gives me so much joy, even, you know, eight years later, why Bane is still just fun to talk about and fun to think about because it shouldn't work. It, it makes no sense, but here we are. I'm still just endlessly joyous. And I think I've watched his clips in this movie more than I've watched any other like snippet YouTube stuff or any other movie with the exception of maybe the Joker because so, I mean, let's talk about how Bane came to fruition. So after the dark night, you know, the Joker was basically perfection of of a clear psychopath killer. And you can't take the classic villainous route with the next movie because I mean, how are you going to top, you know, Heath Ledger's last performance, perfect performance. So enter Tom Hardy, like the weirdest dude in Hollywood. He really is. He's like, He's from a distance. He should have been the next Bond. He's handsome. He's suave. He's British. And, you know, I mean, when he wears a suit, it looks like it's a $5,000 suit no matter what he's wearing. And you only get that glimmer of him on screen when he was the counterfeiter Eames in Inception. And he's just 
more charming and more likable than Leonardo DiCaprio. He's acting Leonardo DiCaprio off screen, which is, I mean, impossible, I thought. But there he was just doing it, just in a Moroccan, like a sweaty Moroccan casino, just kind of calling everyone darling and, you know, just rubbing chips together and he had a grenade launcher, just ultra cool. And you were just like, okay, this guy, this guy could do that, but he won another way. He's got an action hero body. I mean, he's just, you know, ripped. I mean, just shredded, shredded to pieces. He's A-level acting chops, but he always, always, always wants to walk in the sewers rather than the clouds. His movie career up until this point, he did Bronson, which was kind of his coming out. as kind of a talk to the audience, terrifying psycho criminal, and it was based on a real person. It's like the most terrifying man in all of British prisons. Shaved head, handlebar mustache, uh, kind of like big bulky, bare knuckle boxer kind of guy, and just tons of physicality. And then he he was in Warrior, as, and he was just a wordless kind of badass UFC fighter, zero char- charisma, all physicality. And I mean, even when he won his fights, he would just stomp outside of the ring. Like he wouldn't even celebrate. He would just be... He was like the kind of the solitary gunman in like the 60s, uh, like Westerns kind of thing. Think like Clint Eastwood. In Lawless, he was this rough and tumble West Virginia bootlegger and didn't say much. And he got his throat sliced halfway through, so he really couldn't say much. And like he lived, he lived to tell the tale, but, you know, he couldn't really talk. And in Peaky Blinders, the show, he played Alfie, this kind of diseased, hobbled Jewish rum runner in like 18th century Britain, who's brash and rude, but somehow grossly charming. But again, it goes against kind of, against the grain of what you would think he would be, because he's just this, you know, blue-eyed, full-lipped, good-looking guy who could charm the pants off anyone. And you picture him being in like, I don't know, Wolf of Wall Street, charming someone's pants off, or a romantic comedy, or he could be in like The Notebook, he'd be a Ryan Gosling, but he, he kind of avoided all that stuff. And he's more of a kind of character actor trapped in a leading man's body or something. Like they say, like Brad Pitt, Colin Farrell, that kind of vibe. And like I said, he avoids classic roles, but you never forget him. He's always on fire on the screen. He always, he's in like 20, 30 minutes of a movie usually. And you're just like, that's the best part of the movie. So him and Batman, Batman movie, sure. Like when you heard about that, you're like, I'm signed up. That sounds great. Like no one does it again. But when they first announced that the villain was Bane, everyone was kind of like, Bane? What? Why? Why Bane? Because as a 90s kid, like you pictured the, the character as this luchador mask, kind of muscle bound, wordless enforcer in Batman and Robin. You know, he, his characters uh, dependent on the serum called Venom that kind of instantly roids him up and he was kind of a schlocky gimmick because Batman just had to disarm the venom, just kind of like, you know, tear the cord and bam, he'd shrink down to his normaler size. And he would never take off his mask and would only say the word Bane in like a zombie fashion in the Batman and Robin movie. And even in the cartoon, he's kind of schlocky. And everyone thought like when they were kind of spitballing what the villain was going to be for this next Batman movie, like why not? redo Mr. Freeze because, you know, Arnold did a terrible job with it. Or the Penguin is kind of a criminal mastermind in this real world seems realistic. Or the Riddler. Or my personal choice, Clayface. And I never understood why Clayface didn't get any love. For those of you who didn't know, Clayface was a failed actor who had like too many plastic surgeries and did uh, an experimental kind of face molding procedure where, you know, he could kind of move his face and change it how he wanted. 
but it ended up being his whole body and he becomes this huge slab of kind of clay, like giant, you know what I mean? Like 15 feet tall, 20 feet wide, and he can mold his body into kind of scythes or knives or whatever he wanted and other forms, but he always kind of melted out of it. That was his kind of foible. And I just thought he never got enough love. He was creepy and he was charming. And I want a Clayface uh, movie role at some point because he was in the 90s Batman uh, cartoons, which were awesome. If you haven't seen him, go see him. They, they still hold up. But uh, he didn't get any more love. So we saw Bane and we're like, okay, we'll see what he does. I mean, in Nolan, we trust. At this point, Nolan could do no wrong because he just came off Inception and The Dark Knight. So he's just like nailing him. And it just... He just knows what what he wants to do and his vision for these big budget movies with kind of more meaning underneath the surface. You just you just have faith in him, you know. What I mean, I was willing to take the leap. And but then you get into the mythology of Bane, and you're kind of like, okay, this kind of makes more sense because he was born in a prison. He's kind of a criminal mastermind who breaks Batman's back after strategically releasing all the inmates in Arkham Asylum, so Batman was too exhausted to fight well against him. And you're in. You're like, okay, you know, they can make this work. And then you saw the mask that they did, and you were so in. I mean, it is, it is post-apocalyptic military-grade crab armor. Like, if a nuclear bomb destroyed the world, and crabs were all that was left, and crabs turned into, like, evolved into, like, crab men over, like, you know, seven, 8,000 years this is the kind of mask they were wearing. I mean, it's steampunk silly and like light years away from the classic Bane look. And you couldn't help but be intrigued. You're just like, what is this? How did they even think of this? And he's wearing military flak jackets and like floor length sheepskin fluff jackets. And like, he's resting his hands the whole time kind of on his uh, collarbones, like an NFL player on the sidelines waiting to get in. And this was just all new territory. You're like, who is this? I want to see this movie just for just for this character. And like Nolan being Nolan just threw out the idea of Venom. He said like, no, nah, we're not going to do that because it's not realistic. I mean, nothing, nothing about that. Let me be clear, though. This movie is not realistic. It is. It tries to be like it's trying to be Occupy Wall Street terrorism. What if capitalism uh, tries to get like, someone tries to chop down capitalism? It's not. It's insane. It makes it makes little to no sense. But he wanted it grounded in realism. So he got rid of the super, you know, venom. And Bane is just a seriously, seriously shredded dude who's a leader of a terrorist group called the League of Shadows, because that's realistic, because there's groups called League of Shadows out there. Yeah, right. But who cares? It's fun. So, and he kind of damns the source material. He's like, I want to do my own story. And at this point, it's no one. He can, he can wipe his butt with uh, Batman comics if he wants to. So I was in. And also, I mean, Hardy, I mean, like, Hardy in this mask, I mean, Hardy loves mask roles for some reason. He's got, you know, that beautiful mug, but he decides to put on the Bay mask or he's the pilot in Dunkirk with kind of the pilot's gear on his face. Mad Max, he has that metal kind of prisoner mask on half the time. And in Venom, he has like a CGI face 90% of the time. Or in Peaky Blinders, he's got like scars and disease all over his face. So I don't know, maybe he's shy. I don't I wouldn't be shy if I looked like that, but you never know. So that's that's the reason that Tom Hardy was perfect for the role. You you need a guy in a mask, you get Tom Hardy. And then there's the voice. Dear God, the voice. 
it was so uniquely insane. You couldn't help but laugh and you had to attempt an imitation. And I, I still do them in the shower daily or if I'm like hungover, I'll do it like over and over as a distraction. And it's impossible to describe, but I mean, here's my best effort. It's like a guttural gypsy king with a hair lip in 12th century lower class London. Is that, do you get that image? That's kind of what I was going for. Or it's like the Monopoly guy after a bare knuckle boxing uh, match and he like inhaled six sifters of brandy. So that, that, I mean, it sounds like Tom Hardy's chewing gravel while he's reading Charles Dickens as the star of an off, off Broadway production. That's how, that's how it sounds. It's so apparently I guess it's based on this boxer called Bartley Gorman, who's a kind of Welsh Irish in descent and he added Caribbean accent to it. So who, I mean, maybe he just spun the wheel of accents and decided like this, I'm going to do this. He's barely comprehensible in the movie. It's really hard to hear him. And no one had, apparently had to remix Hardy's voice like mere days before the release because nobody could understand him. Yet it's so off kilter and unnerving. It's endlessly fun to watch. And they give Bane, I mean, this is not a character with like four or five lines. They give him like six or seven seriously long monologues. Uh, one of which is like a rift on a French revolution based on class contrast. And somehow like it works. You're like, yeah, like fight the power. Occupy Wall Street, you know, take take the rich down. And you're like, it's this guy in this crab mask talking, you know, drunkenly in weird octaves. I'm like, why am I why am I fired up by this? But you are. Don't lie, you were. You you were fired up. And like the degree of difficulty for making this work is off the charts. I don't think there is a chart for this. I mean, I, if I looked them up, it would take I would like look at the chart and I'd look at like turn to page 13, and there would be like where the chart ends. So, like, let's dig into his role in the actual movie, shall we? We shall. So, first, first scene, he, his crew, like, hijacks a plane mid-flight. And it's absurd. It's a lot of action. You see his physicality. I mean, he's just this big dude just tearing people apart. And there's, the only emotion you get from him is emitting from his eyes. So, like, that is some serious eye acting. I appreciate good eye acting. Like, if you remember Arnold in Predator when he's covered in mud and all you can really see him reacting with is his eyes. Like I appreciate good eye work. It's very underrated. So props to him and props to Hardy. And so they, they literally destroy this plane mid flight and like board another plane. And I think they actually filmed this, which is crazy. I mean, Nolan is the king of, you know, real, real effects rather than special effects. Like when they flip the car in uh, dark Knight or that kind of gravity defying hotel, room fight in uh inception he just he wants to do it for real and i mean the dude he kills in the uh on the plane is mayor carchetti from the wire so there's another tie tie in for that so kind of weird to see him in a cia role so he destroys the plane kills his own men and you're just in and he says things like all right i'm gonna try the i'm gonna try the accent once let's see if i can do it he's like no one cared who i was till i put on the mask is that good? How's that, how's that sound? Not, I feel like that was better than I thought it'd be. My voice didn't crack or anything, but it's just ominous. And it's just a, such a complicated, nonsensical plan. He's pumping blood into somebody to prove that there's somebody else. The plot of The Dark Knight Rises is superfluous. It, you're here for Bane, and that's it. So he kills some of his men without, without flinching or moving. And like later, he's kind of in a sewer system. His his group kind of operates underground a lot, which I guess fits, you know what I mean? But 
one of his men messes up and he just chokes him to death. He like throat rips him almost roadhouse style and he's shirtless and he's just intimidating. I mean, he's still got the mask on, never takes the mask off and you never find out where he got the mask from. You weren't sure if he bought it on Amazon, if someone made it for him on Etsy. Fun fact, actually, if you search on Etsy for like Bane mask, you can find like a steampunk version of his mask in copper that's on a, it might be a real skull or a face skull, but it's on a skull and it's just really freaking cool. It's like 60 bucks. I've always wanted to get it, but I don't know. Some people come to your house and they see a Bane mask on a skull. Like they think they might be like, they might be freaked out or they might think like you have a murder kit in your basement or you might be like Dexter Morgan. So I don't want, I don't want that vibe when you come into my house. I mean, you get, when you get to know me, when you listen to these airwaves, then fine. But you know, first impression, I don't, you know, if I meet my girlfriend's mom or something like that, she shakes my hand and she sees a skull with uh, the Bane mask on it. And she's just wondering, Oh God, what is my daughter getting into? But I mean, she should ask that question for different reasons, but I don't want her to ask that off the bat. Moving on. So, uh, Bane takes over the stock exchange and he's just like stealing Bruce Wayne's fortune uh, via the stock. Like he's going to like uplink and, you know, kind of do a computer hacker thing and like, come on. I mean, if they're going to, if you're going to steal someone's money, shouldn't it be a little bit covert? I mean, Bill, Bruce Wayne's a billionaire. So it's like, if you, they, they're saying that he invested pro, like poorly, like it's like a sneak attack. So it looks like Bruce did it, but it's pretty clear that if someone, hijacked the stock exchange and you know coded some things out they could probably prove that it was bane that took his money and not bruce wayne making rash and unpredictable decisions so huge plot hole still doesn't matter but he looks so freaking intimidating he's skulking around in this biker jacket he uses like the biker helmet as a weapon and he's just preaching these occupy wall street nonsensical jargon and like there's a there's one Wall Street guy who's like, there's no money you can steal here. And he goes, oh, really? Then why are you people here? And you're just like, okay, you know, anything in that voice, I could watch. I mean, there's one, uh, there's one YouTube video where it's like Bane reads a lunch order. And anything in that voice is funny. I think me and my friend, a boss, his name is Boss, uh, we talked in that voice to each other for a solid two, three years. And probably if I called him right now, within... If unprovoked, I could probably get us talking in the Bane voice in five minutes of talking. So I'll put that to the test later and let you guys know. And then he used, I mean, Bane is using uh, Wayne Enterprises VP, who's, I think his name is Daggett. And it's Ben, it's Ben Mendelsohn, who, I don't know if you know, he's kind of the, he's one of the main generals in the new Star Wars movies, like the evil guy. He's evil in everything. He's the like jerky brother in Bloodline. He's in this great gambling movie with Ryan Reynolds called Mississippi Grind, where he's kind of a loser. He's either, he's always a loser or he's always like an evil money grubber from corporations. And in this one, he's just full corporate evil. I mean, his name's Daggett. And he's helping Bane because he thinks he's going to get control of uh, Wayne Enterprises. But Bane just murders him and just gives him like crazy lines. He's like, I am Gotham's reckoning. And then he murders him off, off screen, but you hear Mendelssohn give a great scream. That's Mendelssohn screaming. He's got an A plus, I'm, a, I'm dying screaming voice. So, I mean, finally we get, I mean, the, the underground sewers, you know, where Bane is hanging out with his group of like 60, 75. It's unclear how many people, but he's got like a serious group of, uh, of uh, 
of an army kind of helping him. And, you know, they got like 50 caliber guns and they, you know, are wearing flak jackets. They look like no joke. It's League of Shadows. They're not playing around. So finally, Batman gets lured down there by his quote unquote friend, uh, Selena Kyle, you know, the Catwoman. And it's only like 40 minutes into the movie and it, we're going to have a Bane Batman fight. And that jacks you up. That jacks me up so much because usually you're waiting. These movies sadly wait till the very end, like the, at the two hour, two and a half hour mark to get the real fight going. This one, they're like, nope, 40 minutes in, let's get you the main fight. And you're just fired up. I mean, Bane's holding his football shoulder pads as he calls out Batman. He even calls him by his name. And that's like the big secret of Batman. You know, no one knows who he is. And he just, first first line, he just calls him Mr. Wayne. And you're like, oh man, he knows who he is. That's fantastic. Like, this is going to get weird. And you get right into the fight and Bane is ranting while kicking Batman's butt. Like, that's impressive. He's like giving his speeches while Batman's giving his A effort. And Bane isn't even blocking punches. He's just letting him hit him. Doesn't care at all. And he climbs down like this uh, chain rope. And I don't know how he did it, but it's like, it's almost like they filmed it and they reversed it because he's doing it so fluidly. I mean, the body control and the like sheer muscular uh, form of Tom Hardy in this movie, just props to him. He is just, I mean, he's 5'9", I think 200 in this movie. And he looks, he looks like 6'2", like 240. He's just gigantic. And his muscles are popping and you're just, your mouth's agape. And then you're just like, this is the baddest dude on the planet. I get you know, even though he doesn't have the venom, you can see how he's playing the character of being this muscular freak. So Batman like cuts the lights and Bane is amused and he's oddly funny. He kind of has Batman's number and like Batman, you know, is all about the dark and uh, Bane, Bane is more, he's like, you know what? You think you have the dark? I was molded by it. It's like, I didn't see the light until I was a man and it was nothing but blinding. And then just grabs his neck and just throws him around. And sorry, I just want to do as many Bane impressions. I don't care if they're good or not. They're just fun for me. (laughs) And so he picks up Batman, breaks his back. And then for some reason that we're not really sure, he traps Bruce Wayne in an Afghan underground 11th century prison. Now, I didn't say that wrong. He literally, the next scene is Bane looking over Batman in a jail cell in an Afghani underground 11th century prison that's like underground and basically a giant well where you can try to climb up and get out. But, you know, if you do, you're pro- there's a 99.99% chance of you're going to die. And I guess that glimmer of hope is what makes the place so kind of uh, disheartening and full of despair. So like, you look at it and you're like, maybe I can get out. But what kind of government <laughs> is... Uh, is funding this prison because there's a lot of people in it too there's like 150 200 people in it i mean one youtube video sent to you know 60 minutes and this would be this would be shut down i mean this can't possibly exist i i can't imagine this is part of the world we live in although i mean everything's weird so maybe it is but I mean, you can try to escape and then people chant weird Latin gibberish. It's just so elaborate. I don't know where he came. I mean, he probably was, no one was probably reading like Dante's Inferno and this came out or he was reading like the torture book of the eighth century. And because, I mean, Nolan's kind of this humorless weirdo and God bless him because his movies are fantastic. But you can tell like 
he's pushing the envelope pretty freaking hard. And so Bane gives him this bizarre speech about hope and despair and kind of how, because Batman is trying to save Gotham and the League of Shadows, who Batman was formerly part of, you know, spoiler of, you know, 20, 15 years ago, but the League of Shadows was supposed to, like their job, their main task is to destroy cities that have become too opulent and overrun. Like they burned Rome, you know, they've been around a long time and Batman or Bruce Wayne kind of rebelled against them and basically destroyed the League of Shadows. And now this is their final form trying to finish the, uh, finish the job. So, I mean, Bane gives this huge speech about, you know, I'm going to make you suffer and you have to watch this. He sets up a TV for uh, Batman too, because he wants Batman to watch on the news as he, slowly slowly over five months destroys gotham and then he just has his mic drop moment and says when gotham is ashes then you have my permission to die so that that's good stuff you know what i mean that that brings it all together you just plot holes whatever you know what i mean if bane's gonna say stuff like that cool so bane uses a nuclear bomb to hold gotham hostage he blows up all the bridges and he's basically waiting for this bomb to explode and like fulfill the city destruction, uh, which he's talked about from the league of shadows again, no reason. And he kind of, he takes the core of a nuclear bomb and lets it decay over five months. Makes no sense. He should just blow. He, he wants people to be, to have hope that maybe he won't do it. And then when they're kind of full of hope, when their hope is all gone, then five months in boom, he's going to blow things up. But why, why do this? Why leave Batman alive? just to watch it and, you know, possibly escape and why, I mean, the, the whole world and the whole, you know, U S government is watching this. Why, why, why risk it? But you know, whatever, you know, this is a movie, so (laughs) you got to take it in stride. And so when he tells people about his plan, he's a, he's a, he's at a football game and he blows up an active football game field, which is crazy. And Heinz Ward is on the field. Awesome. Shout out to Heinz Ward. Loved him as a receiver. And he, I mean, this kind of shows uh, Bane before he comes out. Some This kid's singing the Star Spangled Banner. And he's just like, that's a lovely, lovely singing voice. And that's improvised by Tom Hardy, actually. Pretty cool. And you kind of find it. Bane has a couple jokes and a little bit of humor going. So props, props to that. They didn't make him completely humorless. And... Bane breaks the neck of the only doctor who can defuse the bomb he created and tells people to revolt. And then he literally drops the microphone he has. He like disgustingly drops it. And you can hear the little like fumble of like the mic drop. So that's, that's one of the coolest mic drops I've ever seen. And later he opens up black rate prison where like all the worst prisoners are held. And he reveals the little known fact that Harvey Dent uh, was kind of an evil and corrupt and mad a uh, person who almost killed uh, the com- police commissioner's son. And he's ranting and raving like a political activist. He's asking rhetorical questions about keeping the poor down. He wants revolution. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like something that was read in on like a 1960s uh, civil rights kind of, uh, you know, soapbox or, or like, or during the French Revolution, or, you know, during the times of chaos, like wanting the proletariat to kind of revolt and take over. Do I have that right? Is it proletariat or what's the other one? I don't know. I can't remember the other one. But I'm hoping that's right. Either way, sounds good. Proletariat, fun to say. But, you know, he wants revolution. It's so bizarre because he, he's just, he's feeling these 
the people with hope for no reason, just so when he crushes them. Because if you get blown up by a nuclear bomb, it doesn't matter if you had hope or not. It's like, <laughs> it's for his own personal satisfaction of like, I built these people up, now I'm going to bring them down fully. But I don't know, if you're going to blow people up with a nuclear bomb, I think that's fulfilling enough. But whatever, he's Bane, he's got a cool mask, his voice is crazy. So whatever he's selling, I'm buying it. So... <laughs> Uh, the last hour of the movie's garbage. It's this three-card Monty of where's the nuke, and Bane's guys don't use their guns for some reason when the uh, townspeople revolt. Batman and Bane have another slugfest. Who cares, though? You got your money's worth with Bane. I mean, this this character, he's going to be forever. I mean, there's just memes about him. Everyone did the voice. It, you know, it's one of those things that was so off-kilter that it worked, and just... I'm not going to, don't question why you enjoy things. You know what I mean? So I'm not questioning it. Just props to this dumpster fire of a movie that, you know, it's a, it's the rose that grew in manure, grew, grew in dirt. That is Tom Hardy's Bane. So fun facts about, a couple of fun facts about Hardy. Uh, while he took on the role for Bane, he put on 30 pounds of muscle. And you can tell the dude has like traps on traps. He's got that no neck look to him where it's basically his shoulders are just, surgically implanted to his ears you know it's that look and he's veiny and bulky and i'm probably talking too much about this but it's just fascinating to watch and you can appreciate a good a good physique on a dude i'm comfortable enough with myself i got pink and blue nails i have a very beautiful girlfriend i can i can compliment and compliment other dudes physiques and be okay with it and hardy is only five foot nine so he had to wear lifts this whole movie so, because I think Bane is like 6'5", or I, apparently, I, I don't know what Bane's actual height is before he puts the venom in, but when he's had the venom, he's like anywhere from 10 to 15 feet tall. So, I mean, he had to wear lifts. You can't have a 5'9", Hulk. You just can't. Oh, Mike Tyson was only like 5'9", so maybe they should have just ran with it and just made him smaller. And, I mean, the movie's so ridiculous anyways. What, what does it matter if Bane's a few inches shorter? So, like I said before, they never explained who made the mask and or what he looks like underneath the mask. So similar to the no origin story of the Joker. So it adds some mystery to it. So, I mean, that's, that's my thoughts. And I hope you got the smile the whole way through. Cause I was just smiling and I just love the insanity of Tom Hardy mixed with the insanity of this character and the nonsensical plot. And just thank you for this movie world because it shouldn't exist. No one should have made, I think it could cost like 200, $250 million or something crazy like that. But it exists, and now I'm going to go watch the movie again. So in the immortal words of Bane, it's time to go mobile.